you're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at BuckSexton.com. I try not to watch this silly stuff about the British Royals. In fact, the Daily Mail, which is one of my favorite websites for a lot of things, I wish I could pay them a subscription just so I didn't have to see all this stuff about what's going on with Meghan and Harry. I could care less. But now they have overtaken our culture. Now, all of a sudden, we're supposed to be paying attention to this, at least for the next day or so. So I'll I'll do some of that. Also, we've got to get into Cuomo and how this guy is just constantly shifting the goalposts. He's trying to now pretend that he just wants an investigation. Senate passed a $1.9 trillion spending bill. We got we got a lot to get to today. But, you know, the Internet never forgets. And it's never been a more important time to understand that than right now, because given how much what you look for online can be tracked and stored and put into an algorithm. Now, more than ever, you really need to be aware of the fact that your data is out there. It's being mined. It's being farmed. And it could even be used against you. In this cancel culture world we're in, you never know if going to certain sites that look at politics in a particular way could become a problem for you down the line. You also have the possibility that people out there are going to sell your data in a way that would really infringe upon your privacy. Everything you search for, watch or click online can be tracked by big tech companies. OK, that's why I switch on ExpressVPN and you should, too. Because with ExpressVPN on my computer, on my phone, my IP address is masked by a secure VPN server, which makes it harder for websites to identify me. The ExpressVPN app also encrypts my network data to protect my sensitive information from being compromised. You really need this on your stuff, okay? Think of this the same way we all used to have, you know, antivirus back in the day because you don't want your computer to crash. You want your data and what your activities are on your computer to be protected and secure, This is so straightforward. Use ExpressVPN on up to five devices simultaneously, okay? ExpressVPN. So stop handing over your data to big tech companies. Go to the VPN I trust for online protection. Visit expressvpn.com slash buck to get three months free on a one-year package. That's right, three months free on a one-year package. It's a great deal. ExpressVPN, expressvpn.com slash buck to get those three months free extra free go to expressvpn.com slash buck right now i'm pretty sure we fought a war a couple of hundred years ago so that we'd never have to pay attention to the british monarchy ever again and that the american people wouldn't have to ever give a crap if you will what the monarchs think about anything but here we are now with the complete saturation and domination of media today with this interview i saw some of it last i couldn't stomach watching the whole thing i just don't care enough but i watched enough of it to get to get the gist and here's here's what we know uh harry and Meghan are part of the british royal family i don't even know what their official titles are or anything i don't really care but they sat down with oprah who is a multi-billionaire to whine about how their lives are so hard and the british royal family is being mean to them and for a lot of people They view this as, I don't know, a a fairy tale story gone awry. There's a fascination for certainly Americans and definitely for everybody in the UK about the royal family. Uh, They either they hate them, they love them. But for a lot of us here, you think of a case like this and you say, how could it be possible to find people who are more privileged than ultra rich celebrities 
like the royal family. How could you find anybody who's more uh, more privileged than this? And yet they want to be victims. Harry and Meghan, I don't know them. I don't care. But now the whole world, this is the biggest news story in the world right now. You've got two in- incredibly lucky. I mean, lucky beyond a normal person's wildest dreams, human beings who want to go on TV and whine about it. Look, I'm not saying they don't have challenges. I know that every human being, you know, you see people, you don't see the full truth of their situation. You see what people have to deal with and you don't recognize all the challenges they've gone through. I get that. Of course. You know, you, you see some of your greatest you know, heroes throughout history have, you know, substance abuse problems or terrible personal issues in their marriage or, you know, whatever, you know, have demons, have extreme depression, have things that they have to handle. I'm not in any way negating any of that. But this is a move that is beneficial, you see, for uh, for Harry and Meghan. Uh, this is something that really just elevates their brand, their power and their career. And it's indicative of this uh, this sickness of victimology chasing that has come to dominate Western civilization and Western culture. Now, you know, the entire Western world seems completely obsessed with this idea that if you can if you can claim righteous victimhood status, everybody has to feel sorry for you and give you what you want and do so because of the moral obligation you've imposed on them. And it's just it, it, it absolves, you know, the victim mentality absolves people of their of their own mistakes. It means they're no longer responsible for their shortcomings. It means that there is always an out. Why hasn't something worked out the way that you thought it should or you wanted it to? Well, it's not your fault. You're a victim. Why aren't you a better person? Why don't you treat people better? Why don't you work harder? Why don't you get more done? Why aren't you more disciplined? Why aren't you more exemplary when it comes to character and courage and kindness. None of that matters. If you're a victim, it's not your fault. You see, there's other people that are doing all these things to you. There's there's other people who have made your life so much harder. And even if, as Harry and Meghan are, you are globally recognized celebrities for no real reason. I mean, in the case of Harry, because he was born, he's famous. And in the case of Meghan, because she's an attractive female who married him now everybody has to care who they are and and pretend that somehow what they say matters it's absurd the whole thing but in a a way the royal family starting the mid-20th century were the original ultra celebrities before the kardashians came along and really proved out the celebrity because you're a celebrity model the closest thing we had to it was being born into the british royal family and there has always been this this fascination with them for some people. I, as I've said, I think the whole thing is absurd. I think monarchy should be abolished. I don't understand why anybody doesn't see that. But I'm also an American, so I know a lot of us are sitting here. But America is embracing this couple now, too. You see, they were on with Oprah, the ultimate media power broker. I mean, if you're talking about a media brand that is, of course, worth billions of dollars, but that has tremendous sway in pop culture. I don't know if you could find somebody more powerful than Oprah. She sits down with them, spends three hours with them, and they get to complain. Of course, if you want to be a real victim, they go with with some of the the victimology greatest hits. Uh, namely, you know, Me- Megan makes some insinuations about racism. Well, that because that's all you have to do is say something or someone is racist, and now all of a sudden you're 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 one of the good people. You're you're righteous. You have been 
uh, you have been wronged and society must pay you some debt of some kind to make everything better. What does that even mean? How do we do that? Don't worry about the details. People bathe in, they luxuriate in, and this is true all across our society. It's true with cancel culture. Right? We just had uh, Pepe Le Pew is now gone from the Space Jam movies. I'm not kidding because of rape culture. They also got rid of Speedy Gonzalez. Uh, they've, they've gotten rid of six of the Dr. Seuss books, as you know. Now, that's the choice of the Dr. Seuss publishing company, but still, it's showing you where the mentality is right now. But it's because there are people that are afraid of being accused of being a victimizer. And there are a whole lot more people out there who just walk around trying to find a way to view themselves as victims. It's really an obsession. It's it's a a deep seated mindset. Because think about what it does. It absolves you from all of your transgressions. It absolves you from all of your guilt. It removes any need for you to have introspection, for you to be honest with yourself about what's gone right and wrong in your own decisions in your own life, you're a victim. It's somebody else's fault. It takes agency away from you. And in a sense, the same way I tell you that a lot of people like to be controlled, a lot of people like to be victims because it means that now they have a, they have a purpose. They, they just exist to be emblems of how others have wronged them. And you can monetize this. You can use this to grow your brand. You can use this to grow your power, which is really the dynamics that we see at play now all across cancel culture in America. But that's right. Harry and Meghan, they live in what looks like a, a palace that one of the Medici family would have lived in in Renaissance era Florence. But their lives are really hard because people in the royal family weren't always super nice to them or didn't treat them with all of the pomp and circumstance they wanted or something. It's not even really clear, but just some some insinuations about racism. And we have things really hard. Feel sorry for us while we have our multimillion dollar Netflix deal living in a, in a, a mansion that looks like it's out of a fairy tale in California. Oh, gosh, things are so hard for us. This goes to show you no matter no matter who. We're talking about here in society now, it seems that there's an opportunity, should they choose, there's an opportunity to claim victim victim status. I mean, in the case of Harry, you have a, a white male monarch, but he's married to somebody who is a, a quarter, uh, a, a quarter minority. She's one of her parents is is biracial and, and is uh, is black. Um, and so we have to hear about how hard it's been for Harry too. You, you sit around and you wonder, when is this too, when is this all just too absurd? When are people no longer in a position to claim that they're victims? But then again, look at some of the most powerful people in our society. Uh, look at, you know, Hillary Clinton. Why'd she lose the 2016 election? Because she's a woman. She says LeBron James, globally recognized celebrity probably worth close to a billion dollars now himself, certainly half a billion dollars. But, you know, he's got to do protests in hoodies and it's so hard and talk about how the challenges of the streets, what it is to be a, a poor minority in American uh, inner cities today, because, you know, he's had to overcome that challenge too. I mean, the guy's been, I think he was on the, uh, the cover of Sports Illustrated when he was 16. But yeah, it's been a really tough road. 
you know, this is what we see now. Everyone's angling for this. Everybody wants this because, in a sense, it's the ultimate power. It's invulnerability from your own failings, your own poor decisions, and it gives you power over other people. You can make demands uh, from them, and it also brings you sympathy. People are like, oh, you're so great. Look what you've achieved. Look what you've done because you've overcome the victim status. People are looking for this all over the place. In so many ways, it, it undermines what we know is good and true and worthwhile in America and Western societies, which is that every individual, regardless of race, creed, color, gender, every individual is equal in the eyes of God, but also is responsible for his or her own life and decisions. And there needs to be honesty about this. You know, we all are failed individuals in our own way. We all have our shortcomings. And it's really a, a form of, of malignant narcissism to think that whatever hasn't gone right in your life is because of what somebody else has done. Wherever you have come up short, it's because the system has oppressed you or held you down, even when you're at the very top of the system. Think about the, think about the confusion here, the, the cognitive dissonance. You can be an ultra-famous elite billionaire and go on TV and cry about how hard everything is, and people are supposed to feel sorry for you? I'd say, oh, well, this isn't America. This is the UK. This is their royal family. And people have a, a fascination with this. Like we're all reading some storybook about, you know, kings and queens back in the Middle Ages or something. But it's a problem here in America, too, which is why we've also why our culture has latched on to this. Everybody wants to be a victim these days. Why is that? Well, it's because it means that they get all of the benefits and none of the responsibilities of their position and they can get even more. This is a part of the cancel culture wave in this country. It's also a part of the leftism that seeks to tear down and destroy everything that we view as objective, everything that we view as a, as an issue of merit, truth or falsehood. It can all be changed. It can all be moved around depending on what one's narrative of victim status may be. You know, you didn't build that. You didn't achieve that. And whatever I did, if I'm a victim, well, there's always a way to turn that around and make it somebody else's problem. We have to acknowledge that what is the public likely to do with any guidance that we give them? And if we just tell people that they've got to stay cocooned, that they've got to stay in their homes, that they've got to continue to wear their mask, even though they're fully vaccinated, they're not going to do that. They're going to disregard the public health recommendations. So we have to get real. We have to say, you know what, what does it mean if I've not seen my grandchildren for the last year and I'm now vaccinated, my spouse is vaccinated, uh, you know, can I see those kids or not? They're not likely to have vaccine through next fall or next winter. We have to be practical. And I worry a little bit that we will basically stay with this idea that we've had all along, do this or else. And so I hope that the CDC guidance acknowledges that people are not going to do uh, the extreme of staying masked through 2022. That's just right. not going to happen. So what can we provide them reasonable information that gives them the best case for protecting themselves? Like, you know what, you wouldn't catch me tonight in a crowded restaurant somewhere, even with my you know, vaccination. Uh, I think that's what we have to concentrate on and let them do the gotcha. kinds of things that are really right. much safer. That's uh, Osterholm, who was a Biden covid advisor, right, giving uh, the Biden administration when it was coming in during the transition uh, advice on, on covid-19. 
And what he's saying is uh, we need to start to understand what reality is here, guys. Uh, If we tell everybody to mask up for another year, a lot of people just aren't going to do it. And if we're telling people they have to keep doing all the same things they're doing, even after vaccination, all of this is based on risk profile, risk mitigation, balancing different things out. Right. We, we could say if you wanted to save a whole lot of lives from COVID-19, you cannot leave your home for a year. Sorry, food will have to be delivered to you by somebody else. You're not allowed to leave your home. But that's too extreme, even though it would save lives. No question that would save lives from COVID-19. It's too extreme. People won't do it. It's not OK. It's not worth it. Now we're at a point where let's remember lockdowns until vaccine at the start of this was considered insane. Now we have public health officials who are telling us that that masking and mitigation and maybe some lockdowns, some social distancing mandates are necessary post vaccination for individuals. I mean, look at how much this moves over time. Here's the CDC on December 23rd. Until every person in the U.S. can get a COVID-19 vaccine, continue to wear a mask, keep at least six feet between yourself and others, avoid crowds and wash your hands often. Learn more about who can get vaccinated while supplies are limited. Um, Yeah, they're still doing the wash your hands thing, by the way. Yeah, that's that's really going to that's going to save us. That's going to make a big difference. Uh, That was great. That was in, in December. But the point is. They've been advocating for this for a while that until everybody is vaccinated, you got to do all the things you've been doing all along. This is madness. And if you're wondering, and I I found this to be a particularly interesting uh, study over the weekend, people were sharing this thing saying that uh, that masking works. CDC report that mask mandates lower covid cases. So it works. That's what we're told. I actually read the study. I actually pulled from the study for you here. And this is fascinating. Here's what it says. This is the latest CDC study that they put out. CDC report on mask mandates. During March 1st to December 31st, 2020, state issued mask mandates applied in 73% of 3,142 U.S. counties. Mask mandates were associated with a 0.5 percentage decrease in daily COVID cases, one to 20 days after implementation and decreases of 1%, 1.5, 1.7 and 1.8%, 20 to 40, 41 to 60, 61 to 80 and 80 to 100 days, respectively. Uh, friends, they're telling you here that mask mandates are basically bringing down COVID cases over a period of months, 1%. But understand that that 1% is when the margin of error for the study. So it could be zero. That's how effective they are. Now, now I want us all to be very clear about this. Were you told at the beginning that your mask wearing might have a roughly 1% effect on the reduced trend? How long have I been saying it's about how effective this is more than whether it's effective? Because making us go through this absurdity When you add into it the changes in behavior as well that come from mask wearing, people think they're pretty protected. And then they are much closer to each other, more willing to be around each other than they probably would be otherwise, thinking that these masks are doing a great job of protecting them. I will never forget that that imbecile Redfield that ran the CDC, the quote was, this was back in September, 
more guaranteed, a mask is more guaranteed to protect me against COVID-19 than when I take a vaccine. That's what CDC Director Redfield said in September. And now we're seeing that mask mandates have about a 1% effectiveness in reduction of case. 1%, friends. So, so we all wear masks. What this is telling you is that, you know, we're all wearing masks under a mandate. Now, I know they're going to say, oh, but Buck, it's not perfect implementation of the mask. Well, then, okay, but we're all wearing more masks. Shouldn't we see a substantial drop? Why are we wasting our time with this idiocy if it's only 1%? Oh, no, 1% is effective. If it, if it saves one life, friends, that's what we're back to. I don't know why this makes me laugh so hard, but he did say Neanderthal, Neanderthal thinking, not you're all Neanderthals, which she owned. She can ditch the present tense because, as you mentioned, they are extinct. And she's also someone that's been very vocal about denying evolution. So I found it fitting that she used that. Um, but I, I just feel like that this is an example. It shows there's not much to pick on if this is the words we're parsing. They spend a lot of time talking about how old Biden is. Well, you're going to get words like slacks and ornery and Neanderthal. It's kind of an, an uncivilized choice to not wear a mask when the science speaks loud and clear. Um, and I think that it's, you know, again, as Sonny mentioned, on the heels of someone who could offend, you know, people four times in a sentence, picking on an extinct homo sapien seems like pretty safe ground for me. As someone who has 2% Neanderthal, I represent my community. I'm not offended. Yeah, like, let's have people on The View talk about the science and, like, the science speaks, like, really clearly on all this stuff. Yeah, so clearly that a year ago, the scientific community, as as uh, evidenced by Dr. Fauci himself, had a completely different view. But no, but we've we've been told, accept the 180 switch in viewpoint and do so because the science says so, even though... No, sorry. I, I, this is a very straightforward thing. If you believe the earth is flat a year ago and now you're telling me the earth is round, I want to know why you've changed your thinking. I'm not just going to say, hmm, you must have switched it around because the science speaks to you. No, explain to me why you changed your thinking, because if you were that wrong a year ago, shouldn't it matter as to whether I believe you now? Shouldn't shouldn't it make a difference or if you thought the world was round and now you think it's flat, whatever the point is, a 180 switch on something so fundamental, so so straightforward. But now this has become such a, a giant virtue signaling opportunity for people. Double mask. I mean, I, I know that people now that are saying things like if it if it only works one. This is what the, the news reports are trying to say over the weekend. A one percent reduction, which is effectively zero, by the way, because of mass. It's effectively zero because it's within the margin of error. You don't even know. So the science doesn't even say that it's reducing it. But OK, officially, the numbers are a little a tiny, tiny, tiny decrease, a tiny, tiny, tiny decrease. The speed limit really should be 15 miles an hour in this country. And if you don't believe that you're a monster who thinks people should die. This was the argument I was making a year ago, almost to the day. You either believe in a 15 mile an hour speed limit or you believe that people should die in fiery car wrecks by the thousands every year. There is no difference between the thinking here on a 1% mask mandate effectiveness and a 15-mile-an-hour speed limit. By the way, better get ready to wear that mask during flu season because we're told that flu is essentially eradicated by this. That is the official word. I'm just saying. I, I, I'm very curious to see, really, the, the flu virus is 
so much better contained by our measures than I mean, COVID was basically not really contained at all over this winter. We can all see that. That's quite obvious. Okay, we didn't stop it. We didn't contain it. But the flu was was eradicated. Ninety eight percent decrease in cases. Hmm. That's interesting, isn't it? That won't be the case going forward if we go back to normal life and thousands of people die every year, particularly older people die every year from the flu. So when I was arguing at the beginning, we should have a 15 mile an hour speed limit. We should have been wearing masks all along and we're monsters during flu season for not doing so. Based on this new logic, people said no. And they got all emotional and they got all frenzied. I listen to science and I'm really smart. No, my, my argument is sound. What I'm saying is true, was true, is true. And now they don't want to hear it. Now they want to pretend that what some of us saw all along is not the case because it makes them feel like they've been essentially fooled or that they've been uh, believing something all along that's not true. And their belief in that thing made them feel like they were smart, good people. And, and folks don't like to give up thinking they're smart and good. They want to hold on to that no matter what. But I, I read this study out of the CDC. Mask mandates decrease death rates as well by around 1%. Over a couple of months. This is from Breaking 911. Unbelievable. That's what we were promised. Huh? Really? We're all going to wear masks all the time. Maybe there'll be a 1% decreasing. 1%, folks. That means 99 out of 100. You're walking around with your mask on thinking, oh, look, we're all wearing our masks in public. Because that's what this really is. There's no mask mandate in your home. We're all wearing our masks in public. Huge amounts of compliance all across the country. And you might reduce cases by 1%. That, that's, we're really going to pretend that that's what, we were, that's what we were led to believe was the case here? No. No. Ah, I'm sorry. I remember the mannequin studies with the spray. And they were saying, you know, 70% of particles, 90% of particles. Somehow it blocks 70 or 80% of all particles out of your mouth. Even though viral particles are so small that they would go right through the mesh of a mask. But they say it, it is clinging to the you know to the the spittle or to the the vapor that comes out of your mouth anyway uh they're they're claiming that 70 percent of everything coming out of your mouth is blocked by these masks and yet it's a one percent reduction in cases and a one percent reduction in deaths at best at best is that what we were i mean who here who here really thinks that that's that they're being honest at this point who really thinks that what they're saying in, in any way lines up it was wear a mask, save lives. So we've been wearing a mask for a year, and maybe maybe there maybe there have been a uh, you know I don't know uh, they they would say a few thousand people a few th- that's what we're really talking about right four or five thousand people that they think might have been saved by a year of mask mania and add on top of that all the distress the dehumanizing effects, the psychological disorders, the constant discomfort. Like I said, if you believe in masking, you need to believe, if you're going to be morally consistent, you need to believe in a 15-mile-an-hour speed limit. It's effectively impossible to die in a car crash if you're going 15 miles an hour. I mean, almost impossible, right? Meaning if you're in a car and someone else's car, you're going 15 miles an hour, modern cars today, you're going to survive that. I mean, unless it's a freak accident. But, you know, then again, a car could just explode for no reason. You know, who knows, Right. But you see, we've established a moral principle. If it saves one life, look at the liquid. You're seeing now the the authoritarian left mentality 
and that you've been aware of for so many other things. You know, if they have to take every 10 round magazine out of the hands of every American in the country and replace it with a five round or a seven round, which I know they didn't really make, but whatever, you know, they replace it with some other magazine size for a firearm. If that slows down one mass shooter in one shooting by one or two seconds, it's worth it. This is this is a gateway to authoritarianism. We all understand that, right? I mean, there's really there's no justification for you to have ever gone out into crowded places because you could have always been infecting people with fluids around you around. You don't know. You could always give somebody just a standard cold virus and folks that have a weakened immune system. They could end up getting pneumonia from it. Now, I know you said, Buck, but this we're taking it into absurd territory. Right. Exactly. We've been in absurd territory with this for a year. They told you things were true that were not true, and they keep doing it. And the social media, you know, oligarchs and the morons who run user experience and all this other stuff at these places who aren't even like the tech engineers. They're the people that are on the on the softer side of these businesses who are just little left wing activists coming out of schools where they didn't actually learn anything other than how to be woke and how to be grievance collectors about all the oppression that they feel. They told you things that were not true, and you should be aware of that now. You should understand that that is what happened uh, because they're going to keep telling you things that are untrue about all of this. I mean, the CDC is an abomination. That much should be clear at this point. It's a it's a politicized organization that has failed at every major stage of this pandemic to do anything useful. Um, and now we're going to be gaslit in a way that that is just mind blowing. We're going to be gaslit by people telling us, yeah, that's right. You know, the the psychosis of people running around screaming at other people, in some cases getting into, you know, lethal exchanges. There are people have been shot. People have been beaten to death because they weren't wearing a mask. And yet here we are being told that maybe it reduces cases 1%. And that's max. And trust me, the CDC had to find something. You think the CDC was ever going to come up with a study? Turns out mask mandates don't do anything. But the problem is they can only fudge the data so much. What they told us is so incorrect and so ineffective that it's becoming really hard. So now they're retreating into, yeah, it doesn't work that well, but it works a tiny, tiny, tiny bit. Hmm. Okay. Now the state can say that any level of infringement upon your day-to-day life and on your basic liberties, including your ability to just breathe normally, any infringement that they can claim might save some small percentage of human beings from getting sick and or dying is justified. So you better mask up forever. If you think a 1% mask mandate is just, you know, 1% of, of cases being reduced by a mask mandate justifies the inconvenience, you mask up forever because that's what you've established. Mask up forever. Oh, well, the old COVID will go away. Yeah, there's still the flu. There's still other things out there. You better wear your mask forever. You're a monster. They were wrong all along. And I know that, you know, I focused it on this one and I've been very just because people have been so vicious, so nasty, so stupid. People think they're so smart on this one and they've been wrong. Yeah, I'll, I'll take the buck position on this over the one percent is really effective when it's actually within the margin of error, which means that I can also make the case that it is entirely ineffective based on the CDC's own data. And you could say, oh, buck, but mandates aren't the, aren't the same as individual. OK, well, then why have a mandate? If a mandate doesn't work, what's the point of a mandate? If individuals should just do this on their own, why did we have the government 
enforcing this, fining people, threatening to lock people up over this. Ask yourself these questions. Remember, there's a strong case to be made that thousands of businesses, tens of thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands and millions of lives were devastated during this pandemic, in part because social media companies employed moronic partisan third party fact checkers to stifle any criticism of lockdowns. And they did this while Twitter, Facebook and Google got a lot richer. That's what was happening during this. You know, even the Wall Street Journal had to put out a, an editorial over uh, over the last week where they they point out what I've been telling. you. This is the Wall Street Journal. Fact checking Facebook's fact checkers. The media giant is employing left wing vetters to limit scientific debate. They the, the Wall Street Journal points out that they have a entirely mainstream, highly credentialed scientist write an op ed crunching the numbers and making a projection about herd immunity being in the U.S., basically being here by the end of April. And the you know women's and gender studies majors out of Wellesley who work at PolitiFact, and they probably even went to crappier schools than that, but the women's and gender studies majors that work at PolitiFact in general, uh, they're deciding that the science, that the scientist is projecting here is unsound, and therefore they limit the reach of it on Facebook. They are laundering their censorship, and they're using morons to do it. But they're left-wing activist morons, so they feel good about this. They've done this to me. They've done this to me. They, they took one line out of context. They tried to, by the way, go to bucksexton.com. You want to show the censors where to stuff it? Go to bucksexton.com. Check out our editor, my editorials there. I'm going to have another one up tomorrow. You can listen to the podcast there. Um, it's it's a website where you can also give us uh, your email because we're building out a newsletter. I need direct direct reach with all of you because the social platforms you can't trust them anymore. You can't trust them. And some people that have built really big social followings look at them and think, so this person somehow never gets throttled, huh? This person somehow never gets banned or or suspended. That's interesting. Hmm. Anyway, I'm I'm very frustrated by this. And it's really damaging to society. It's damaging to free speech and free, uh, free inquiry. Um, but, you know, Facebook is uh, run by cowards now who don't appreciate liberty and freedom and the free exchange of ideas. They don't appreciate these things anymore. And remember, they set their business up with that promise. In a sense, they're defrauding the public uh, based upon the, the initial promise that they were going to be platforms for free speech and communication. I mean, this is really not all that different. I know we've made the phone companies a utility, but it would be like if the phone companies were private and then all of a sudden they started saying, well, you know, right before the election, we're, we don't want this one candidate to win. So we're going to shut down all of his phone banks and we're going to decide that that, that that person can't communicate. It's really not any different than that in principle. And this is what the social media companies are doing. But they will even stop a Johns Hopkins MD scientist from looking at the numbers and making a project. They will say a projection is false and therefore cannot be shared. You can't make a prediction. That's what they'll tell you. You know, I wrote uh, on bucksexon.com a few weeks ago, schools should be open. And they said, no, that's false because schools should only be open if they reach the following criterion. Guess what? New York City now today, lockdown central just said schools are opening March 22nd. So who is right and who is wrong? Politifact, you morons. And these uh, like, I mean, can you imagine that you go work at one of these places? You're you're like a little hall monitor of free speech on the Internet doing the left's bidding. I mean, honestly, the only the only thing 
that is you know, more intellectually degrading than being a third-party fact-checker would be if you're one of these people that works at Media Matters. And the only thing more intellectually and emotionally and psychologically degrading than that would be, you know, I, I, I can't even say the kind of job it would be on, on radio because it's not family not family friendly, but it's just it's degrading. It's disgusting. And these people are shameful who do this stuff. But and they're hurting the country. And that's my, my bigger point here is that we were never allowed to have a real discussion about masks and effectiveness and the trade offs because they just kept lying and saying this is the consensus. They kept they kept changing the goalposts around and saying, no, we didn't shut up. You're not allowed to ask any questions. And I have to ask you if they if they did this. And since we know they can do this for COVID, for the lockdowns, do you really believe that they won't do this for climate change? You, you think that all this power they've acquired, all this power they brought together, they're just going to give it all back and decide they're not going to do this again when something else that they view as really important comes up? I don't think so. I think we're all quite aware of the fact that their plan going forward is going to be to use states of emergency for a similar shutdown of free speech and inquiry using the most powerful platforms for communication in the world to decide what you can and cannot say. This is now the Democrat Party. This is what we're up against. The authoritarian left has seized the most powerful institutions in the country. And we need to understand what that means for us going forward and how we can fight back against it. I said we're going to get the government out of the business of battling on Twitter and back in the business of delivering for the American people, of making a difference in their lives, giving everyone a chance, a fighting chance, of showing the American people that their government can work for them. And passing the American Rescue Plan will do that. Yeah, passing the, passing the American Rescue Plan. Uh, that's, that's all we need to do. Amazing, isn't it? There was some <laughs> there was some uh, Washington Post headline that was along the lines of, you know, Biden defeats poverty, basically, by passing the American Rescue Plan, you know, defeats poverty for the American people. The place is such the place is such a joke. It's so so outrageous, so ridiculous. Anyway, here we are uh, looking at the realities of the one point nine trillion dollars spent. And I just say. Uh, unfortunately, elections have consequences, and we're seeing some of those consequences right now with this. Uh, unfortunately, Republicans are not in a position to really stop this from happening. And we are just going to sp- we're going to keep spending and spending and go deeper and deeper to debt as a nation until everyone starts to realize how bad it is and what this really means for our currency, for our economy. And then it's too late. Then it's essentially all over. But we're supposed to celebrate this now. We're supposed to uh, decide that this is a, a great moment for the American people. Why did it take this long? They could have passed rescue stuff about COVID many months ago. Well, Democrats wanted it their way. Here's what the legislation has uh, in it. This is from the Wall Street Journal. Quote, provides a direct payment of $1,400 for a single taxpayer or $2,800 for a married couple that files jointly, plus $1,400 per dependent. Individuals earning up to 75000 would get the full amount and uh, married couples with incomes up to 150000 The size of the check would shrink for those making slightly more with a hard cutoff at $80,000 for individuals and $160,000 for married couples. Most Americans will be getting the full amount 
The median household income was 68,703 in 2019. The bill provides $46 billion to expand federal, state, and local testing for COVID-19 and to enhance contract tracing capabilities with new investments to expand laboratory capacity and set up mobile testing units. It also contains about $14 billion to speed up the distribution and administration of COVID-19 vaccines. Look, money for vaccines, great. They could have done this a long time ago. Testing as a means of getting us past this uh, pandemic is also, this is now just a talking point that they won't let go of. I mean, yeah, you need to have some ability to test, obviously, but look at the huge ramp up in testing we've done, and you still had a tremendous amount of cases and deaths and hospitalizations all throughout the winter. Test and trace. By the time they're really at, at a place where they think they can test and trace this thing, the pandemic will have essentially passed. What we're going to look back and see is that one, one day, at least, we'll look back and see that we really just were dragged to herd immunity with people saying they were going to stop this thing. But by the time we got to herd immunity, we had suffered through the maximum amount of anxiety, tyranny, economic destruction, psychological devastation possible to get us to a point that we were inevitably heading to anyway, which is a huge amount of infections, unfortunately, a, tr- a terrible amount of death despite all these interventions, the interventions, as Fauci calls them. And yeah, we're getting to herd immunity with the maximum amount of damage done along the way. That was unnecessary damage. I mean, we we were going to have a lot of infections and a lot of bad stuff happen here no matter what. But you look at all the things that have been done. I mean, just just look at a side-by-side comparison. They're out there right now of states with mask mandates and states without them. And you will see a remarkable thing here you'll see the same rise and fall on the same timeline, irrespective of whether there was a mask mandate in place or not. And we're talking about dozens of states. I mean, you you line them all up, mask mandate, yes, mask mandate, no, and you'll see a rise and a fall, and they're right in line with each other with no real discernible difference whatsoever. But we all had to go through a year of people going, why aren't you double-masked? You're putting me at risk, ah, you know, freaking out all the time. Yeah, I know. Uh, I believe in science. People that haven't read on their own about anything in the world of science for the last 20 years of their lives. All of a sudden, it's like they have been reading, uh, you know, the New England Journal of Medicine every day for fun. It's absurd. You, you know what the science tells you? What's a bigger what's a uh, you know, sh- is dietary sodium an issue for heart disease yes or no should you eat red meat yes or no is being a vegan healthy yes or no you know are antibiotics in the food supply negatively affecting immunity yes or no you want me to just keep going where's the science on all these things well there is science there's data but there are arguments that are being made because it's not clear you were if you were like me at least I know many of you were browbeaten. You were shamed. You were forced to accept that the science was settled when it wasn't. And when I say the science is settled again, do I think that masks sometimes will a mask stop somebody from getting COVID? Yeah, of course. I think it works sometimes. Is it worth the mass panic and dehumanization and discomfort and absurdity of all this? Now, the double masking for a negligible benefit of less than 1% or 1%? No. 
And if you're going to argue with that, then you have to explain to me why we don't have a $15 minimum wage, why we don't ban al- ban alcohol. Illegal. Make it illegal. Kills so many people so bad, right? People believe that there's freedom, including the freedom to make bad decisions. And, you know, you could say, oh, but that's your own decision against yourself. A lot of drunk driving deaths where people are killed who had nothing to do with it. Ban alcohol, you get rid of those, right? So I'm just saying, you know, this is, this is a question. Do you want to live in a free society or not? Do you want to live in a free country or do you want to live in a Fauci country? That's been really the central debate of the last year. And, you know, the, the left and the Democrats, the media have been on the wrong side of it. Dr. Alina Wen, this woman was a, she was a, an MD at Planned Parenthood, just so you understand what what her moral compass is like. So she understands fully the procedure, although she was not extreme enough for Planned Parenthood, which is the really one of the most odious and, and immoral organizations, not just in America today, but in all of America and all of modern history. Uh, here she is, though, talking on CNN about how they're really the CDC is really messing up this whole vaccination, post-vaccination behavior guidance situation. Play 18. So we have, what, 30 million people who are already fully vaccinated. That's almost 10% of the population. And we have not been giving guidance to these individuals who want to know, what is it that I can do now? And in the absence of information, they're making decisions anyway. Some people are throwing away their masks, which is not a good idea. Others just really want to visit their grandchildren, which is something that we should be able to tell people, please do that. I'm also very concerned that we're squandering an opportunity to specifically tie these reopening Opening that's already happening in various states with vaccination status. This is the time now to be saying, as an example, maybe you can reopen 100% for people who are vaccinated, mm. but maybe people who are not vaccinated, if you're not checking vaccination status, you can only open at 25%. Keep masks on, but continue to, uh, but we really need to be looking at how vaccination status is tied to reopening. And every day that goes by without that kind of specific guidance from the CDC, again, the governors, as you were just discussing and michael we're we're just discussing governors are making these decisions anyway so let's give them the tools to do so go fauci yourself give me a break notice the micromanagement well some places could open up to a certain capacity and other places could open up to another capacity depending on vaccination set how are they going to check any of this you know the, the the difference in me and these these little authoritarian tyrants is that i live in the real world how are they going to check? How are they going to know? The reason the CDC won't put out guidance is they know that they can't. If, if they release their grip a little, people are just going to say, yeah, you know what? This is nonsense. I'm done. So they're just they'd rather just have total control or at least believe they have total control over people's behaviors. I know not everyone's listening to them anyway. But this is this is ridiculous. But what they really don't want to say is, yeah, if you're vaccinated, you can start living a normal life again. They won't say that. Why? Because there's still a risk. There's always still a risk. What is it going to take for people to understand this? There's always still a risk. There's no such thing as zero risk. But what they're doing is pushing our risk parameters into the into absurdity. And they're destroying freedom and they're destroying liberty in the process. And for what? For what? They didn't even they didn't even make everything better. That's the other. It's not like they. They saved all these lives and stopped all the cases. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. We saw they failed. They were wrong. How much more obvious does it have to get? Oh, but people weren't listening and they weren't doing their masks. I'm here in New York City. We had a second wave. We had a second shutdown. 
you everyone outside is wearing masks and there's not even any data to indicate that mask wearing outside is a necessary precaution against the virus. That's how much we're masking. You know, Switzerland just voted to ban face coverings. They did it really in the context of uh, more extreme adherence of Islam. You'll have women who will wear either an abaya or a burqa or, you know, uh, they wear the niqab, which is the face veil. And or a burqa obviously comes burqa always has a, a face covering face veil. Actually, the burqa is full. It's just the slit for the eyes. And they voted just by a narrow margin. But the Swiss voted. Sorry, no, you have to show your face in public. You're not allowed to cover your face in public. Doesn't matter that you think this is a religious freedom issue. You know, you, you, you have to show your face because not showing your face is dehumanizing and breaks down public trust. And it has psychological impacts on society that are really deleterious. We all knew that in this country until 12 months ago. And now they want us to forget that there are costs to this. This was not this was not something we could just do. Oh, it's not a big deal. No, it is a big deal. The government thinks it can tell me to wear a mask. What else does the government think it can do for my benefit? Where else is the government able to just say you can't live life anymore until you do things my way? You don't think the people that are claiming that climate change is an existential threat will abuse this? If you, if you don't think so, you're not paying attention. In your view, how has Joe Biden done on climate issues in his first 50 days in office? What grade would you give him? Well, um, you shouldn't take that from me. I'm just a, just a teenager, so I, I'm not, I don't have the mandate to, to sort of give grades like that. Uh, my opinions on this doesn't matter. You should rather look at the science and whether his policies are in line with the Paris Agreement and to stay below 1.5 or even 2 degrees Celsius. And then you can clearly see that, no, it's not nearly enough in line with the science. And that's not me saying that's just black and white, looking at the facts. She's learned the tools of propaganda well, hasn't she? That's, that's uh, Ms., Ms. Greta Thunberg, who is now an adult. I believe she is 18. So that means we're allowed to actually criticize this person who is advocating for policy on a global scale. Um, she's a know-nothing. She has no idea what the hell she's talking about. And she even admits that as part of the of the ploy here. Right. Well, you know, I, I'm just a teenager. I don't really know. But the science, which is just, of course, in line with exactly what she thinks she knows. The science says that Biden is not doing enough. How are you liking those higher gas prices? Everybody's that you feel like you're, you feel like you're doing a lot of good things for the for the climate. How, how are those high gas prices feeling right now? Oh, yeah. Joe Biden really, really getting it done, isn't he? It's, it's it's remarkable, isn't it? This this is what we are up against. This is what we see. Um, the I I am worried about the U.S. economy. The, the economy should be on a springboard right now. I mean, the economy should feel like we are loading up a catapult, and we're just going to unleash prosperity all across the land. We fire that sucker, and instead, it feels like uh oh, this could go bad any moment. You've got uh, Janet Yellen who's telling us that this package will revive, you know, the, the uh, relief bill will revive our economy. Play, thir- play three. You know, this is the package we need to revive our economy to where it was. But there are long-term challenges that we have faced for a very long time. Um, we have a K-shaped um, recovery going on in which um, 
high-income people are doing much better than those at the bottom of the economic ladder, low-wage workers and minorities. And that problem, frankly, existed um, before the pandemic struck, although it was made immeasurably worse by the pandemic. So um, eventually, um, when this is passed, um, we're going to turn to recovery and to build back better and to address the problems that have um, been festering in the U.S. for a long time, leading to rising inequality. So that's the next part of the agenda. But uh, th this will be a very important relief, especially to those people who are really struggling. Do you think that this crew knows how to run the economy? You think that they understand how to get things up and running? I, I doubt it. You know, this spending package, I'm sure there'll be a moment here where we say, oh, wow, look at this. Look how this, look how this uh, gets things up and running, gets things going again. And, and then there'll be the recognition in some time of, oh, hold on a second. Where is this money coming from? How can you spend almost $2 trillion as though it's nothing Without that having an effect on interest rates, without that having an effect on the dollar, can we just make it up as we go along? Why not $10 trillion? You're, We're really in that territory now. We have to start asking questions like, why not just spend? Why not go full modern monetary theory? You know, there are prominent Democrats, AOCs among them, who believe in MMT, which just means you spend whatever you want to spend as a government. And then you do your best to manage inflation when it comes. You know, that's it. You spend whatever you want to spend. Whatever you think you need to spend, you spend. That's modern monetary theory. How far are we right now from that? And look, there was a lot of spending in the Trump administration. I get it. We didn't tackle the debt. We didn't tackle the deficit. Nobody cared. Nobody wanted to hear about it. You know, things felt like they were going well and MAGA and yay and all that stuff. But well, now here we are, and the Democrats really could care less about what we say about that. And I wonder if there's going to be a rise of a Tea Party-like movement now when people start to feel like they're telling me inflation is zero, but why is everything more expensive? They're telling me that the economy is good, but why is it so hard to actually produce uh, enough from my labor to be able to get ahead of my bills? You know, there's going to be the economy that they tell you is happening. And then there's going to be the economy that you are feeling. And I can assure you these are not going to be the same thing. That much we definitely know. And that's why I'm I am concerned that what will happen is we will see this this uh, spike of, oh, great. Everyone's getting these checks and there'll be more economic activity. But we get into maybe the third or fourth quarter of this year when we should just be seeing a boom in economic activity. Things should be going great. And all of a sudden, growth is kind of sluggish and people aren't feeling like they're doing better. And they, they don't think that they're they're getting wealthier in this whole uh, in this process. Or when I say wealthier, that, that their wealth is increasing, not that they're wealthy in the first place. And you know what the Democrats are going to do at that point? You guessed it. Blame Trump. They'll find a way. Guaranteed. The Senate has never spent $2 trillion in a more haphazard way or through a less rigorous process. Voters gave Senate Democrats the slimmest possible majority. Voters picked a president who promised unity and bipartisanship. Democrats' response is to ram through what they call, quote, 
the most progressive domestic legislation in a generation on a razor-thin majority in both houses. The right path was obvious. We followed it five times last year. Five rescue packages totaling $4 trillion, and none of them got fewer than 90 votes. The Senate wrote the CARES Act, Republicans and Democrats shoulder to shoulder. That was the road to real pandemic relief, but Democrats actually wanted, Mr. President, something else. They explained their intent very clearly to exploit this crisis, quote, as a tremendous opportunity to restructure things to fit our vision. That's how you get this massive bill with only 1%, 1% for vaccinations. Yep, this is what Democrats do. They use a crisis to get exactly what they want. And that's what they're doing here. Why do they wait all this time? Why do they make the American people stand by and suffer during all of this when they could have passed a COVID relief bill last August, when the initial round of funding was largely depleted and people were going to need more help and businesses were struggling? Why they wait? Well, because they wanted to use this for maximum leverage. That's why. That's why they waited. And this is another another thing that's happening is they're they're passing this and it's very much a replay. It feels like a replay of the Obama administration in 2009. Right. There's a financial crisis. Well, let's spend almost a trillion dollars on stuff we want to spend money on. That isn't about actually rescuing the banks or from insolvency and the, uh, you know, the credit contagion that could have happened afterwards. No, it was it was more than that. It was Democrats saw a crisis and they saw an opportunity. And this is what they do. And this is how they, they get it done. And, and let me tell you that there's such a focus on this right now, on the spending bill, the almost $2 trillion of spending, that there's not nearly the focus there should be on what I call Pelosi's plan to annihilate the GOP forever. I mean, officially it's called the For the People Act of 2021. But they should really call it the Democrats turning voting into a free-for-all while gutting their political opponents act. Look, Pelosi's been in office, what, three-plus decades now representing San Francisco. Pelosi's been a member of the House almost longer than I've been alive, which is pretty remarkable. And the For the People Act of 2021, better known as H.R. 1, is really all about Democrats winning in chaotic and fraud-prone elections. In a way, you almost have to respect the Democrats' ruthlessness with this bill. As soon as they could, they wielded their power for maximum advantage with no apologies. That's how they play the game. That's how they get it done. When Republicans find themselves with control of the White House and Congress, you know, they're they're content with a a decrease in the marginal tax rate, maybe emailing some think tank papers around Capitol Hill. Oh gosh, you know, I you know, I'm comparing you know, what, what Milton Friedman said with, with what Friedrich Hayek said, and then there's John Maynard Keynes, and, and you know, that's a, a, lot of, a lot of GOP big brains, so to speak, spend their time doing that. And Democrats say, this is what we want, we're going to get it, and we're going to do it. They have a will to power and a, and a will to use it. So I, I almost respect their their ruthlessness, although I think it's so bad for the country that respect is clearly the wrong word. Democrats don't dither when it comes to getting their way. You know, they introduced H.R. 1, 
the For the People Act on January 4th. The Democrat-controlled House just passed it on March 3rd. And President Joe Biden's now strongly advocating for the Senate to pass it as well so he can sign it into law. I mean, how bad could H.R. 1 really be, you might ask, right? It, it is dressed up with a lot of flowery language about protecting sacred voting rights. Well, here's what H.R. 1 promises to do. Quote, to expand Americans' access to the ballot box, reduce the influence of big money in politics, strengthen ethics rules for public servants, and implement other anti-corruption measures for the purpose of fortifying our democracy uh, and for other purposes. Ah, yes, for other purposes. Hmm, interesting. What other purposes are there? What else do Democrats have in mind? Remember, this has already passed the House and uh, the Senate is going to consider its passage. Joe Biden's pushing for it. This could actually happen. It's all meant to sound fair, ethical, nonpartisan, but many of the details of H.R. 1 make it clear the primary intent of the bills to replay the only because it's a COVID emergency voting changes from 2020 and expand upon them nationwide. Democrats want to eliminate many election safeguards in the name of increasing access and federalize elections in a way that is contrary to constitutional intent. One of the biggest changes would be the legalization of the process that we know of as ballot harvesting. 24 states have this as illegal right now, but 26 states have some form of ballot harvesting, which can range a whole lot. In some places, it's only when your family members can do it for you. But, you know, ballot harvesting is when a person can take other people's actual physical votes in hand and go turn them in at a polling place on their behalf. Now, this is not necessarily nefarious. There are some states where family members, for example, are allowed to do this. So if you've got if your grandma's 95 and she wants to vote and she hands you, you know, you live in her house or you live down the street She hands you the ballot. Okay, you're going to go turn that in. But imagine what this means when it's much more widespread. I mean, you've got immediate chain of custody issues with ballot harvesting. I mean, if community organizers on behalf of a get out the vote effort can collect hundreds of ballots at a time, who's to say whether some of them make their way to the polling place? Well, maybe some other ballots find themselves dumped in a trash can. Ballot harvesters, under the guise of helping senior citizens and other easily exploited groups, could encourage votes to go a certain way on the spot or even fill out the empty ballots themselves. That's just the start. There's a whole laundry list. Uh, There's a whole laundry list of other election integrity measures that are loosened or eliminated in H.R. 1. Friends, this is still very much a live deal. This could happen. And if this happens... We're going to lose the next election, too. That's the whole point. Voter ID requirements would be decimated. H.R. 1 would give anyone the right to show up on Election Day and without uh, providing a photo ID, sign an attestation and vote. That's all they have to do. Sign an attestation. So that's where we are. I mean, producer Mark, if I signed an attestation that I was the greatest hockey player that ever lived, that would not make it true, would it? No, no, it would not. Yeah. Automatic voter registration would also be enacted. That means anyone who goes to the DMV, uses food stamps, or attends community or state college would be enrolled as a voter. Some non-citizens would also likely be enrolled in error because it leaves it up to the individual to attest their own eligibility. 
The list goes on and on. You got universal mail-in ballots will be sent out to everyone on the voter rolls. They wouldn't be systematically purged of people who have moved out of state. You'd have a lot of people getting ballots in the wrong state, a lot of live ballots out there that shouldn't have been sent. You got ballots arriving and being counted long after Election Day. Early voting expanded. Felons would have voting rights restored upon release from prison. And as we know, convicts overwhelmingly support Democrats. It's not hard to see the pattern here. Democrats believe these changes would help them win elections. They don't care about the risks of fraud because they believe they'll benefit from the chaos, the loopholes, the shenanigans. Elections aren't supposed to be federalized in this way, but constitutional objections mean nothing to Democrats like Pelosi, who, as we all know, sees a pathway to becoming a permanent majority. That's really what this is all about. A number of COVID-19, a number of states rather have used COVID-19 for these temporary changes in the 2020 election cycle. They got things like a huge increase in mail-in balloting nationwide. States like Pennsylvania extended the deadline to count mail-in ballots beyond the actual election. With these changes to election rules, Democrats were able to accomplish big wins in the 2020 election. We know Biden officially beat Trump by about 7 million votes. A huge portion of the country still believes, despite the social media prohibitions on questioning the election, that there was substantial fraud. That's the reality. They, they can tell us we're not allowed to say it. They can tell us we're not allowed to talk about it, but that's reality. If H.R. 1 becomes law, it will further hurt election integrity and confidence and could rapidly turn America into a de facto one-party state where the losers no longer have faith that the system is fair or worth preserving. Okay, that's where we are. That's what we see happening here. So you've got a almost $2 trillion spending bill where Democrats are getting whatever they want, and they're trying to ram through a change to the election process. We haven't even talked about amnesty and what that would do. We haven't even talked about uh, the expansion of um, the Democrats, you know, in their own mind, the expansion of what's possible or probable for them to get done if they get rid of the filibuster. And people are already talking about how H.R. 1 might be, I, I thought it would be amnesty, but maybe what they use or where they decide the filibuster has to be used is for H.R. 1. Worth it, even though there'd be blowback. Worth it, even though people would recognize this is an egregious overreach because it'll change the game forever. That's the way they see it. What do you think Democrats would be unwilling to do if they found that a certain action would put them in power for the rest of you know my lifetime, let's say. I mean, for, for decades to come. Where do you think they would draw the line on that? H.R. 1 is supposed to be the death knell of the Republican Party. That's what is playing out right now. That is what we are seeing. Everybody should be very clear on what those implications are. Everybody should really understand what this means. And yet there's so little focus on this. Republicans right now aren't, are, are, we're only united insofar as we're all suffering from bad Democrat decision-making, but we need a counter-narrative as well. We can't just say, look at what they're doing, it's bad. It's look at how bad what they're doing is and what we would do differently. And that's a piece that's missing right now that we need to reinstate. President Biden supports raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour. That is where he stands. That's where he stood for a long time. He believes strongly that that's the level at which people in this country who are working full time 
uh, uh, can make a, a living wage and not be living in poverty. And, and he believes that that's a, a fundamental matter of values. He doesn't believe that anybody in this country should that. work full time and be living and be living in poverty. But, you but what I would say, Jake, is you know, there are currently but there are currently no active discussions about lowering the threshold. These are details that are going to get worked out. We just the Senate just passed our, our American Rescue Plan, this massive effort to get aid to people who need it across the country and make these investments. So we're going to the conversation is going to turn to how we tackle the minimum wage. And the president is looking forward to working with Congress to determine the best way to do it. But what I can say to you right now is the president is committed to raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Committed to raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour, even though anybody that you know who owns or runs a small business will tell you that the $15 minimum wage is one of these ideas that sounds good. It sounds great, actually. I mean, I I, I can't say anything other than, uh, yeah, I mean, of course, I, I want people to be paid well for their work. I, I want workers to feel like they're getting uh, a, a fair deal here for sure. But then there's economics and there's the reality of money and productivity and how businesses would handle this. And it's just not we keep coming back to this. It's not what people want to believe it is. And I mean, when I say people, those who are pushing for a $15 minimum wage, eight Democrats in the Senate voted against, voted no on the $15 minimum wage component of this. Uh, you know, they wanted an increase minimum wage by $15 an hour to, uh, to $15 an hour by 2025. On Friday, eight members of the Senate Democratic Caucus voted against it. Um, and there was an effort by Bernie Sanders to get rid of to waive a procedural objection to add a $15 minimum wage to a COVID-19 relief package. And that was de- that was defeated 5842. So. The people who voted against it are Joe Manchin, Kristen Cinema, Gene Shaheen, Maggie uh, Hassan, uh, John Tester, Tom Carper, and Chris Coons. And this is this is showing you right right now that oh, and Angus Angus King, one of the dumbest senators um, of all of them. And this is showing you that there's not actually unanimity, unanimity on this. And it's in part, I think, because people who understand what this will do to some small businesses, there will be job losses that happen. People will get fired and they'll be more uh, required of employees who stay on the uh, who stay employed, but have the $15 minimum wage now as as the, the floor for what their pay would be. Understand that really very few places have the federal minimum wage. Even They're, they're all generally being paid more than the federal minimum wage. But there are supply and demand issues. I mean, economics, as much as we want to believe that it can be changed to suit social policy and social justice, that's not how it works. And, and then there's also I, I think there's it's it's worth getting it's worth adding into this that why, why go right to 15? I mean, it's it's basically 725 right now or something like that. I think it's seven dollars and no one even no one really it's used in so few places. People don't even know what it is. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Before we get let's get to the actually dumbest member of the United States Senate, uh, Maisie Hirono, who says the minimum wage should be. Well, here it is. Play 16. For one thing, the minimum wage should should be in this bill because raising the minimum wage for the people who are most adversely affected by the pandemic should get a minimum wage, which we haven't increased in a decade or so. And if the minimum wage had kept up with inflation, et cetera, it would be at least twenty dollars an hour. So here we are. 
we're among the last in all, all of the developed nations right. in terms of our minimum wage. So it should be in the bill. And frankly, I'm not going to blame the parliamentarian. But what my hope is that we will change the, the filibuster rules so that uh, it will take a majority vote rather than having the Republicans continue to be a roadblock to all of this kind of legislation that will actually help American people. So you're saying you support ending the filibuster to get through uh, future Democratic legislative priorities? I definitely support filibuster reform. And part of that is ending the filibuster. It could be totally or it could be for certain kinds of bills. Mm -hmm. But I'm definitely open to making those kinds of changes so we can get things done that helps people as opposed to not doing anything, which is the Republicans posture. Yep. Get rid of the filibuster. Democrats talking about it openly. They want to create the pressure to get some people like Manchin to go along with them, the Democrat side. And then it's open season for whatever crazy policies they want. Governor Cuomo running into some trouble. He's got trouble. What's the latest trouble for Governor Cuomo? Well, he's got five, count them, five accusers now, females who are saying that he engaged in various degrees of sexual harassment and workplace misconduct. But Governor Cuomo is also saying that he does not plan to resign. What would it take to get this guy to resign or better? What would it take to make him actually get impeached? we got somebody who can tell us about that and more. Our buddy Joe Borelli in the House, New York City Councilman from Staten Island, which is still technically part of New York City. Joe, good to have you back. Always great to be here, and thank you. And, and you know this is one of my favorite topics because it can't be happening to a nicer guy. How well known is it? For everybody out there, how well known is it that Andrew Cuomo is just not a good guy? I mean, before before all this, I think people should know about this. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, it, it is tremendously well known. Um, I mean, to be fair, I had never heard of any, any claim of sexual harassment or anything of that nature. But just the general uh, evil nature of this guy uh, has been known since he was uh, a boy. Uh, you know, his nickname growing up uh, as the governor's son was called the Dark Prince. The Legislative Correspondence Association does a dinner similar to the White House Correspondence Dinner, uh, and, and they parody people. And they actually used to parody the governor's son, Andrew, uh, in 1980-whatever as Darth Vader. I mean, that's how terrible of a human this man has been and how long his reputation of being just a, a, a terrible person goes on for. Now, we have the New York State Senate Majority Leader calling on Cuomo to resign. He's, he's already said he won't resign, right? He says he won't resign because he wants to wait for a, an investigation to be completed. He says these are just allegations or accusations or whatever. And so he's saying he won't resign. New York State Senate Majority Leader asking, you know, calling on him to resign. I mean, at some point this turns into it's clear he's not going to do that, right, Joe? There's no way, in your estimation, no. he's going to resign, right? No, no. And, and this turns into a proverbial uh, peeing contest, I think, at some point between the, the majority leaders and the assembly speaker and the governor. Uh, and I think he's going to make them, you know, basically call the bluff and see if they'll actually investigate and have impeachment hearings. The problem for Governor Cuomo is that I think there's actually enough votes. I mean, certainly with Republicans, there's enough votes to impeach the governor um, on, on impeachable offenses. I mean, the, the standards to be impeached are not the same as criminal liability. And it's fairly obvious that there was willful and, and, and deliberate 
uh, cover-up of the nursing home scandal. I mean, forget forget the sexual harassment for a moment, but the nursing home scandal is, is so plainly obvious. Uh, and, and just from what we know from the attorney general's report, that he has committed impeachable offenses. This drip, drip, drip of stories and allegations and problems is becoming quite the puddle uh, which uh, Mr. Cuomo finds himself in today. Do you think that there's there's a real chance that he may be removed? I mean, is that is that serious? Yeah, I, I actually do. And uh, I know he does, too, because he's out there calling uh, legislators very desperately, uh, both uh, on the New York City Council and, and around the state legislature, asking them not to make statements on his own resignation. Now, bear in mind you, this is someone in, in 2018 who, who called on the resignation of Eric Schneiderman, then Attorney General Schneiderman, for the accusation in one solitary article in Vanity Fair. And let's suppose the 2021 Andrew Cuomo is right. Maybe accusations are something that you shouldn't resign over, especially if you do believe you're innocent. Fine. But that's not what he said when it was Schneiderman. That's not what he said when it was a guy named Vito Lopez. That's not what he said when it was a guy named Dennis Gabrzak. That's not what he said when it was a guy named Micah Kellner. And the list goes on. I mean, the names are irrelevant to the audience. They, they probably aren't familiar with them. But the names are all of men who have been accused of sexual harassment. I couldn't even tell you the outcome of their uh, ethics investigations or, or, or fact-finding uh, stuff. But they all resigned in shame and pushed out the door by none other than Andrew Cuomo. Amy Robach, who is at ABC News, I guess. Uh, this, this, I, I never watched the network news broadcasts. It's, it's amazing to me that anybody does, quite honestly. But they, they still do have, you know, big audiences. She was on Good Morning America over the summer. And now this is granted, this is before the sexual harassment allegations. But I, I just want everyone to get a, a little trip down memory lane for the way the media was responding to treating, propping up, elevating Governor Cuomo this past summer, here she is, play two. In one word, can you describe the past 100 days? Hell, can I say that? <laughs> yeah, you can. I think that's fair. What still keeps you up at night? You've been commended for your clear and your calm leadership. People from all over the country and the world have tuned into your press conferences. Your statewide approval rating, a career high 84%. You came in second only to President Obama as the most trusted Democratic leader in America. How do you intend on spending that political capital that you've earned? If you had to give President Trump a grade on how he's handled this pandemic, what would you give him? What grade would you give yourself? You've said that you have no political aspirations beyond the job you're in right now. Right. A lot of people are asking why. Why not think about something grander, bigger, presidential? Would you accept a cabinet position no. in the Biden administration? No. That was a quick no. Nope. <laughs> why not? I know that you've been portrayed as some sort of a homecoming king of this crisis and a headline from Jezebel help I think I'm in love with Andrew Cuomo the New York Post dubbed you the new love gov Chelsea Handler wrote you a love letter essay in vogue entitled dear Andrew Cuomo I want to be your first lady your reaction to all that your daughter's reaction to all of that when are you going to hug your mom again it's a very powerful interview and he is no holds barred he says exactly what he's thinking as you know that's his style well you can see that you <laughs> ask the tough questions i tell you that much as well yeah oh yeah the tough questions um what's your reaction to that man i mean there's so much there i know joe but wow it, it, buck it's insane but i mean this is a guy you, you have to realize for everything the media did to prop this man up to celebrate his 
sexy handsomeness uh, and, and the Cuomo sexuals. No one is as big of a, pro- a proponent and proper upper of Andrew Cuomo than Andrew Cuomo himself. I mean, this is a guy who just fundamentally wants to aggrandize himself at every single opportunity. The man made posters of himself celebrating the win against COVID, which did not happen. The man wrote a book, as we all know, Leadership Lessons, about a pandemic that wasn't solved. And then you add to that just this, this constant and never-ending, whether it's Amy Robach or, or, or a Vogue magazine or, or whoever else, just, just claiming this guy as this princely, masculine model of sexiness. It was absurd then, and it looks so stupid now. I mean, so fundamentally stupid now, uh, in hindsight, after these sexual harassment allegations. Same thing with the, with the whole family uh, aspect of how we all followed who was having dinner at his house, the boyfriend. I mean, think about this charade. This guy went on a charade but that he's this tough guy dad protecting his daughters from exactly the type of creepy older man that Andrew Cuomo actually is. But it's just top to bottom, soup to nuts, insane. Why are people in New York state politics all the way down to, you know, State state assemblymen or state senators, some city council folks, present company excluded. Why are they all so scared of this guy? I mean, it, you get the sense that people are worried that like Andrew Cuomo is going to have them disappear in the middle of the night. I mean, clearly that's not what he does. But why are they so terrified of him? That's a great question, uh, because he follows through uh, and he's popular enough where his support could make or break careers for Democratic officials. He also has been clear that, that, that the rules don't apply to him. Uh, he threatened, think about it, he threatened openly uh, over the weekend to release the files of Jacob, which is the state's investigative arm, which he's already been accused of interfering. Uh, the Albany Times Union, a pretty powerful paper in, in Albany, uh, actually wrote a whole article how he uses the state ethics commission as his own personal defense team. He, he threw out there, well, if you think I should resign, Maybe I'll throw out all the accusations about all the legislators. Now, these are supposed to be confidential, right? A, a young woman or whomever goes to the state ethics department and says, I have a serious allegation against Assemblyman Jones. That's supposed to be confidential. And here's this guy just dangling it out there. We saw him blackmail in real time, Ron Kim. Ron Kim had terrible things to say about him, granted, right? Uh, accusations that he killed nursing home patients, all that, right? But he told the press, he said, well, he threatened Ron Kim personally and said, I'm going to uh, destroy you and leak damaging information if you don't change your official statement on nursing homes. And then he actually went out in a press conference and spun this whole story, whether it's true or not, is irrelevant, but it's damaging, that Ron Kim is, is beholden to some you know, nail salon, underground lobbyist racket. I mean, that's how insane the guy is, right? Those are things he just did publicly. Now, there's a laundry list of things he did privately to try to get one over on people. He's excluded me from press conferences on stuff I supported and voted for. Um, he, he's, you know, there's allegations that, that he's used the state liquor authority during COVID to target certain businesses, certainly businesses that suit him. So this is a guy who goes there, and this is a guy who rewards people that work below him we're acting in the same manner. What has to happen? We're speaking to Joe Borelli, city councilman uh, from New York, from uh, Staten Island. Joe, what has to happen for uh, 
for for Cuomo to actually go at this point. I mean, we, we talked about impeachment and removal by by the state legislature. How long would that take? And what do you think would have to change for them to actually be willing to take action on that? Well, there's no precedent for impeachment. The, the last one who was impeached was Governor uh, Plain Bill Sulzer, they used to call him, uh, back in 1913. And the guy was a Tammany uh, governor and actually was a straight shooter. And Tammany was very upset that he wasn't giving them patronage or kickbacks or whatever it was. And they actually had the guy impeached. So wait, so they impeached a guy for not being corrupt. <laughs> Correct. Plain Bill Sulzer. It's, it's worth everyone's you know, 15 seconds of Googling when, when they're you know, picking their nose later. Um, but, but, yeah, I mean, there's no precedent. So we don't really know how long it will take to draft charges and, and have the trial, et cetera. Um, but I, I think that's the only way. I think another way he goes is if the president weighs in. I think another way he goes is if Schumer and, and, and Gillibrand and basically the federal apparatus, the national part. Like he doesn't care about the state party. He controls the state party. The, the number one state Democrat is his own goon. So he doesn't care about the state party. He does care about the DNC. He cares about his national profile. And if those people are now leveraging him to leave, I think that's the only chance you'll get. The other thing is, is cornering politicians, Democrats, and, and making them declare at this point now that they won't support him for re-election in two years. And I think that's another way he'll, he'll, he'll see the exit door, if not immediately, but at least won't run for re-election. So the national party would have to turn on him. And then there may be consequences from his own state party, you think? Or you think that the National Party would push, would, would pressure him to resign? I think the National Party could pressure him to resign. I mean, that, 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 that's where his care is. That's who he's concerned with. You know, he's already proven he can beat back some of the more radical progressives that, that, that oppose him ideologically within the state Democratic Party. So it, it is really the pressure, I believe, from above. I think if he loses Joe Biden, if Joe Biden finds out w- which room he is in at any point in the day, and he realizes who Andrew Cuomo is, and he weighs in, I think there's a good chance he goes. Joe Barella, everybody, councilman for New York from Staten Island. Joe, always appreciate your insights, my friend. Talk soon. Thank you, Buck. Thank you. Well, I would say two things. Right now, as you've indicated, just today, we're dealing with, I think, the most consequential piece of legislation for working people in the modern history of this country. And we're doing that through reconciliation process, uh, which means that we only need 50 votes plus the vice president. And as you know, this legislation is going to provide $1,400 for every working class person and their children. It's going to extend unemployment with a $400 supplement on top of normal unemployment, put a whole lot of money into education so that we can reopen our schools, expand health care. It is enormously important. Sadly enough, we have zero Republican support. So your point is well taken. In one way or another, we're going to have to do what the American people want us to do. This COVID bill we're debating today, enormously popular among Democrats, independents, Republicans. And if we cannot get Republican support in one way or another, we've got to go forward. Now, you asked me about the filibuster. It is my position, absolutely, that democracy has got to prevail in the United States Senate. We cannot have, continue to have a minority uh, who are obstructing what the American people want. So count me in as somebody who believes that majorities should rule in the Senate so that we can begin doing the business of the American people. We cannot have a minority obstructing what the American people want. All of a sudden, Bernie's about the filibuster. Removal does not want the filibuster. Not a surprise, is it? Obstruction! Obstruction! This is what they said. All, all you have to do is go back to what 
the debates were like, the discussions were like around the Obama administration when, when Republicans didn't do what Congress wanted them to. And it quickly turns into obstruction. Now, when Democrats did everything in their power to abuse rules and precedent when they were in the minority, it was resistance. Hashtag resistance. But when Democrats are the majority, if Republicans don't actively collude with their big government plans, they they are obstructionists. Isn't it fascinating how quickly that turns? Ah, It's very, very clear how that happens. Oh, one thing we'll, we'll get into more on the border tomorrow. But what's been fascinating is how it's how Democrats have been trying very hard to convince everyone that, oh, no, there's not a crisis at the border. There's just a really bad situation that's spiraling out of control that we can't really handle. But there's not a crisis at the border. Here's Jen Psaki on that. Play 14. Houseman earlier, Kevin McCarthy, he's requesting a meeting with President Biden about this issue. He's also asking President Biden to acknowledge the crisis. Will President Biden take that meeting? And, and I'll ask it again. <laughs> Will he acknowledge that there's a crisis? Well, first, uh, the president and this administration's focus is on digging out of uh, the dismantled and inhumane immigration approach of the last administration. And that's why the president has proposed an immigration bill that would not only address the root causes that Leader McCarthy referenced in his letter, but would move beyond the policy of funding ineffective border walls by investing in smart security at ports of entry and would also create a pathway to citizenship. And we would welcome the openness or desire to engage on that from the leader or any Democrat or Republican who wants to have a conversation about a constructive path forward. Yeah. Investing in smart security at ports of entry. What does that even mean? Right. I mean, they say these things and you all know that they're just trying to avoid telling you the truth about what's happening at the border. I also get very agitated every time I hear Democrats refer to border walls that don't work. Border walls work. It's very obvious. It's very clear. There should really be no debate on this. The question might be how well they work and how you can make them work better. But they work. They work better than the 1% mask mandate effectiveness. Okay, that's for damn sure. Border walls do work. But Democrats don't want border security. But they're not willing to say that openly, so they play this game. Democrats on immigration want to have it both ways. They want to pretend they believe in rule of law and border security while allowing for a de facto open border because that's how a nation of immigrants in their eyes should operate. That's what's going on here, and the crisis is getting worse, and we will dive into into it some more uh, tomorrow with all of the latest from our southern border. The show ain't over yet, folks. It's time for Roll Call. Producer Mark, buddy, how was the weekend? What did you get into? Tell tell the folks. They want to know. They hear from me for like hours, but you know, then now it's Producer Mark's time to tell everybody what's going on. How are things? Well, my arm hurts a bit. From what? The vaccine. Oh, is it a little sore? It's a little sore, but if that's Would, the only side effect, I'm cool. Yeah, no, huh? hopefully you're not going to grow like a second head or something. Then I'd have two producer marks telling me to be on time, be on time for yeah. things. Yeah. Um, Somehow but, I think there would have been a media report by now if somebody grew a second head. That's. I think that's true. Yeah. I think you're on pretty safe ground there. At least think of it this way. If you did grow a second head, you would be um, 
you'd be an anomaly and and you'd probably get like a interview with you know various TV stations about it. That's so true. That. I might become rich off of that. So yeah, maybe not I'm quite like not like an Oprah level interview, but like you would get some kind of interview. For yeah, it, I'd so. get attention. Was it uh, which one was it by the way? The Moderna? No, it was the uh, the one shot. The, the one, one shot. And done, right? The Johnson and Johnson one. I mean, they make such nice baby powder and shampoo. I feel like you got to trust them, you know? Exactly. It did not smell like that. I know, the audience right now is, people like, how dare, no, Buck, no, Big Pharma, (laughs) don't trust them. But, you know, I don't know, I like, I had their baby shampoo when I was a kid, you know, because if it gets in your eyes, it won't hurt, you know, that stuff, so. The no tears shampoo. Yeah, that's right, Ben Johnson, and that's what, that was like my first uh, shampoo as a kid, I remember that, no tears baby shampoo. I could have just learned to close my eyes, but, you know, I was a slow learner, so I had to have the no tears. Big head, slow learner, slow learner, (laughs) (laughs) big head, slow learners. Definitely. I can put that on a T-shirt. Any anything fun you watch or check out or anything like that going on over the weekend? Uh, My wife and I watched the first six episodes, I think, of WandaVision. You have not even heard of this before, have you not even heard of this? Yes, it's uh, on Disney Plus. It's the newest uh, Marvel thing. Uh, it involves the characters Wanda and Vision, hence the name WandaVision. It's very mm-hmm. interesting. It's different than anything you've ever seen from Marvel before. Uh, it's a TV show. Uh, I enjoyed it so far. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, have you tried to sell Mrs. Mark on the boys, or is she just not into she it? She was all into WandaVision this weekend. I couldn't even. Right. We were waiting. Right. So they were doing the two episodes a week thing, so we decided to wait until it was all out. So we mm. just kind of binged. Yeah, the Snow Princess, oh, people, I, I posted a photo of her over the weekend on Instagram, and so now people know that, which is good, because I, I think there were some people who thought that, like, either the Snow Princess was just a code name for Tallulah the French Bulldog, or that there wasn't really a human being here, you know, they, they were starting to have their doubts, so no, no, she is real, and there's a photo of me and her in Miami, really it was just because we were having a nostalgic moment about Miami, and I'm like, I gotta post a... Miami photo, because, man, I mean, it's it's nice down there. That was there the first right time now. I've even seen her, so. Yeah, well, you've never, you know, I haven't seen you in a year, buddy. Are you, but have you grown, like, a big uh, lockdown beard or anything yet, or? You no, know? I'm incapable of growing a beard. So, uh, I look almost exactly the same, maybe a little heavier, but uh, aren't okay. we all? No, that makes, that makes two of us, by the way, yeah. All my suits right now are, like, a little, a little snug around the middle, which is just a constant reminder that oh. I just need to wear sweats all the time. I mean, Why I have not? a wedding coming up in June. I just expect to have to go buy a new suit. Oh, yeah. I'm, or, I'm, no I'm right I there with you, anything. buddy. My brother's getting married this summer in August, and I'm I'm hoping, I would say that I'm positive I will, but I'm hoping that I'll be able to get back to my, you know, my like fitting well into my, my suit uh, from the past because otherwise, yeah, I got to go get another one. Yeah, but wouldn't you rent a tux or something for your brother's wedding? Aren't you in the wedding party? I think it, I don't think it's tuxedo time. I think it's a okay. suit. I, I guess it depends on the bride, usually. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, black tie. Not everyone does the black tie thing, so it depends. But anyway, yeah. So I, I hung out with the Snow Princess. We basically just uh, just chillaxed. I I got a uh, I, I got a new TV because I found out that getting my TV fixed this was quite a uh, this was quite a mathematical mathematical challenge. Getting my TV fixed by Samsung was going to cost me $400. Getting my TV brand new instead of four years old was going to cost me $550. So I decided to just get a brand new TV. I, I, it feels kind of wasteful, like I'm, a, like I'm building up the landfills of the world or something. But what am I going to do? You I mean, know, I'm not going like to spend $400 system. to fix an old TV when I can get a new TV for, you know, on 150 bucks more. 
you can probably just sell the old TV too. Someone will buy it. Who knows how to fix it? Mm, maybe I don't know. I don't. Know. I wonder what the value is in that. But uh, that's what you learn. It's like when you find out that a car is worth less than what it would cost to really fix it. You know, that's kind of where with TVs. I, TVs are a remarkable, and I really mean this. TVs are a remarkable expression of uh, flat screens of capitalism. Because I remember being in college and getting like one of those big cathode tube TVs that weighed like 120 pounds and the bigger the screen, you know, TVs used to be really expensive. Do you remember this or are you too young? Yeah, I remember when like my grandmother bought me this huge box TV tube TV and it was only like maybe 30 inches wide, which is nothing compared to what you can get now in a flat screen. And that was like the latest technology. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, TVs used to be like three feet deep. You know, they were big, bulky, yeah, heavy things. About. Yeah. And I um, I mean, now you can get a really good name brand flat screen, you know, 40 some odd inch or 50 some odd inch TV for a few hundred bucks. It's amazing when you think about it. I mean, how much the technology has improved. But then again, we all carry around supercomputers in our pockets all the time known as smartphones. And I mean, I still remember when having a beeper. That's right. Having a beeper was like cutting edge technology. Yeah, I'm not that old to ever. Yeah, you're not that old. Yeah. I mean, beepers originally they were for doctors and drug dealers, but then they they went through a little phase where people had their beepers on them so that you could just like have your friends call you and then you'd know to call them back, you know, when you were out and about. But uh, then then they got replaced by the cell phone. But it's pretty the whole thing's pretty remarkable. All right. Let's get to roll call. Charles kicking us off. Remember. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Oh, team, I have a favor to ask. I meant to ask you this, too. Please write reviews on iTunes uh, on the Apple podcast store of our podcast and give it five stars. It has been brought to my attention that we do not have uh, we have a huge audience for the podcast and we don't have nearly the the reviews uh, in terms of a proportion that we should. And so we get penalized in the Apple podcast store for this. So please tell people if you love the Buck Sexton show, just just give it. Look, I don't even care if you love it. Just give it five stars. OK, do it for producer Mark if you won't do it for me and write a review about how the show is cool and you like it. And producer Mark makes fun of me and it's good. Uh, you know, do something like that. And if we could just get a, a whole bunch of you to do that, it would really, really help us out. It'll take you 15 seconds. So please write a review for the Buck Sexton show on Apple Podcasts. Give it five stars if you're listening to this. All right, let's get to it. Charles. Hey, Buck, Charles here in Florida. My martial arts teacher told me a long time ago that as humans, we only have the rights we can enforce. That means that might makes right in the end. Nobody ever won a war or a fight because they were morally correct. Example, Roe versus Wade. They made the wrong decision to quell the crazies. Clearly, more people have always thought it was wrong. With that in mind, I think back through my life. The right seems to always think that it's about what's right and good. That promotes individualism. The left acts from a place of fear and gathers in numbers. They outnumber the right in every aspect of life. This means that when you take your case to court, if you happen upon a lib judge, you're done. And you probably will. This means that if you watch TV, you're being indoctrinated by the owners of the station who are probably libs. This means if you go to the movies, you'll see subliminal messages of wokeness because the director and producer are probably libs. Your kid is probably being taught by a lib. It's hard to fight back when you're outnumbered and they know it. And now they're bringing in uh, bringing in more. Sorry to be such a downer. Well, Charles, you're in Florida, my man. It's beautiful down there. You got no state income tax. You got Governor Ron DeSantis holding the line for freedom. You got a lot of good things to be happy about, my man. 
So start with that. As for uh, as for your your being outnumbered uh, point here, or, or how we're outnumbered all these places, it's not just a question of sheer numbers. It's also a function of the lib mentality. The lib mentality is that they have to inflict their bad ideas on all the rest of us. They don't. They don't view. Uh, neutral spaces as as uh, desirable or even really possible. So, you know, if I go, let's say, to work at a, at a company that sells shoes, as a conservative, I'm thinking, how do I sell the best shoes? How do I make the most profit? How do I make our our shareholders happy while making our customers happy with the great shoes we're making and that we 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 create something of value for society in that process? A lib goes to work at a shoe company and thinks, yeah, all that other stuff, you know, whatever. But really, what is this shoe company doing to address oppression? What is this shoe company doing to address systemic racism or sexism or you name it? And so it's a, it's a difference in approach. So you're much more aware of the politics of the left because they want to use whatever they can as a platform for those politics. And we've seen that wokeism all throughout corporate America as a result. So, Charles, it's not just a sheer numbers thing. It's also about the mentality. It's also about the approach. Ian, Buck, I share your optimism regarding states that have finally opened up. Hopefully, Texas has enough herd immunity to to absorb all these COVID-plus illegal aliens uh, they're dropping off in the interior or wherever they go once they get to the bus station. Um, Ian, I, I think that the reopening is, you know, we were moving in the right direction, but the lockdowners are fighting it. You know, they're fighting it with everything they've got. And I, I think that that means we're going to be extended here longer than we should, for sure. And as for uh, illegal aliens, you know, that look, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of illegal immigrants who are going to be, uh, you know, who, who are going to be in the grand scheme of covid positivity across the country. This is not changing it one way or the other. We're talking about probably hundreds, maybe a few thousand cases. Uh, but it's just really the government's approach to this, which is whatever restrictions they have to put you under your business under to limit maybe 1% of cases in an area they'll do, but they'll actually actively send people with COVID-19 into the country illegally. They're not supposed to be here in the first place and have no problem with that. Uh, All right. Albert Buck mate. I'm from England. Piers Morgan is not considered right wing. He's a champagne socialist who says things to get attention. He is hated by every conservative in this country, actually by everyone in the country. Yeah, Albert, I, I know I, I my uh, my Instagram live uh, guest, uh, you know, Kay Smith said that Piers Morgan was right wing. And I was kind of shocked by that because I have never seen or heard that. But she's from the UK. I'm not. So I kind of deferred to her on it at the time. But there Piers Morgan is not a conservative. The guy's anti-gun. He's not conservative in the American sense. I don't know what he is in the British sense. I don't know the guy. I don't understand why anybody cares what he thinks about anything, but he somehow manages to put his name in the media, put his name in the headlines still. I I don't know for what exactly, but there you go. Russell, Uncle Buck, thank you for finally talking about the fact that libs don't debate anymore. They rarely ever have conversations with people who disagree with them. I truly believe that if I were an AOC fan and saw her get dismantled by any prominent conservative, it would totally change my perspective. Please keep pushing debate, challenge prominent libs, call them out. It'd be amazing to see, though I don't, uh, though I doubt any of them would accept when they don't. Ex- I don't. Any- well, hold on. 
I doubt any of them would accept, but when they don't accept, you can say it's because they know I will destroy them. Shields way high. Russell, I'm with you on that, man. Thanks so much. And uh, yeah, libs, libs do not debate. Uh, there are all these brands that are that are supposed to be public intellectuals who are leftists. And what we see is that they really have no actual interest in a debate of any kind. Um, they if they have people on to represent the alternative point of view of conservatism, they're there only to just get annihilated and get mocked and destroyed. And that's obvi- that's obviously not moving the debate forward in any meaningful sense. Um, I mean, have, let me ask you, have you seen think about people? Have you ever seen uh, Rachel Maddow or Anderson Cooper or Chris Hayes or just go down the list? Any of these people in a debate with a with a prominent conservative who can really hold his own or her own nope you don't see that why is that because the left won't debate continuing on with our monday roll call uh we got nate hey buck great work keep it up there's a much simpler reason for the fences in dc lockdown all the fear-mongering is simply a smokescreen the real reason is to avoid democrat embarrassment when president silver alert forgets who where he is and wanders off would hate to lose him uh so Nate's making a joke, producer Mark, right? Yes, I believe he's joking about our president. Yes. Well, not yes. our president, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, well, he's technically our president. What is a silver alert? I think he, maybe um, a life alert button. Maybe that's the joke he's oh, making. Oh, okay. Is that like a version of a life alert? Like like yeah. the remember, remember that old commercial? I've fallen and I can't get up. Remember that? Of course. Yeah. Huh? That That commercial became like a cultural icon for a while. Um, because of, of the of the old lady that that was you know yelling <laughs> yelling that thing. True international depression. True international depression. Yeah, it's that that's he is our president, Mark. That is true. That's true. Yeah, he is. Our We're not allowed to go time. shout in the streets. Not our president. We don't do stuff. I like just that. want everyone to remember that I told them that. Uh, that the day will come when the guy basically walks out on stage without his pants on. I mean, metaphorically speaking, or maybe even without his pants on. But he's going to do that, and there are going to be a lot of libs out there whose position on all of this is, um, oh, we had no idea, but I guess we've just got to make Kamala the president now. That's what's going to end up happening. Bad and kept care. That's what's going to that's what Biden's going to say about it when it happens. Pablo. Uh Oh, I know this is going to be unpopular, but here it goes. I think that if Trump ran and won again, it could hurt the party. Here's my reasoning. If he won, he would be a newly elected lame duck candidate. It would have been different if he was reelected, but now he'd be a one term president again. I was on board with Donald J. Trump for the time he came down the elevator but now I do believe he would be better in the role of figurehead for the GOP. The ticket I would love to see, and I know it's early, is a DeSantis Pompeo ticket. I believe this ticket is the one the GOP could get behind. What are your thoughts? You know, Pablo, I I don't um, I don't have a ticket in mind right now. Obviously, I think DeSantis has really shown us some great stuff in the last year, and and I I got to give some all due credit to DeSantis. But I mean, a Pompeo ticket, you know, maybe I, I like the former secretary of state is uh, I think he'd be good. I don't, I don't know. I got to think about it. As to your thoughts on Trump, I got to think about that, too. But we're at the end of the show, so I can kind of hit the uh, the bailout and come back to it. button, Pablo team, 
Please give me those reviews on uh, the Apple Podcast Store, the Buck Sexton Show. Five stars. Write a little something nice. Producer Mark will appreciate it. Shields high.